0: hey we're gonna have theme music and everything
1: well i think that was it what you just did why don't we just skip the workplace discussion and talk about et i truly disliked that film really wait how are you not gonna like et man
0: no 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 let me tell you something
1: fucking Reese's pieces and he's like this weird I mean look I know he's not like the the most pleasant looking alien no, but no, that's no, a no, good no. story No
0: no no the, no no ET's great Elliot's great Gertie's great they're all great It was the f- effing government goons who came in and stole ET from them and everybody's screaming like it's, like it's a raid I mean it is a raid Yeah and and then the part where where they find E.T. and he's like face down in the ravine and he's all like gray and dusty and, and sick and he's going to die. I was so traumatized by those two parts. Number one, that the government could just bust in your door like that. And number two, when they just left this very vulnerable
1: botanist
0: to die in a ditch.
1: Well, it's it's educational. Like, you know, this is <laughs> this is the way of the world.
0: Botanists come from space uh but i mean you know aside
1: from the fantasy conceit like this is what the feds would do for (laughs) sure
0: oh for sure and that but but that's the thing that scared me so much about it is i was like oh yeah i totally could see that happening oh shit that could totally happen that would scare the crap out of me
1: but i mean he he gets he gets out of it in the end spoiler well i mean look i think at this point
0: yeah, if you watch Stranger Things and you haven't watched ET, there's something wrong with you.
1: Have you been watching Stranger Things? Oh no, I have. I love Stranger Things. I don't. Here's here's the thing about Stranger oh, no. Things. Oh god. No, look, I, I've oh, watched no. it I'm end, have to end to fire end. You. I'm I've have watched to fire it end to end. I enjoy yeah. the show. I enjoy yes. the show. Okay, fine. I just don't know what they're trying to say.
0: Yeah. I have a theory about this. Yeah. Not about what they're trying to say, but about how you fall right in the middle of irrelevance for this show.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: It is, it does not speak to any of your experiences. So it is neither nostalgic like it is to me Mm -hmm. or new and exciting. Like it is to my 15 year old kid. Okay. You're like in the middle where you're like, I didn't grow up with these. I don't know who the Goonies are. I don't know why the TV going fuzzy is supposed to, you know, be significant, but for someone my age, I'm going to be 45 in a few weeks There's so much nostalgia and the fact that Winona Ryder plays the mom, it's like, it could either, it could only have been her or like Molly Ringwald and that's it. And so then for my kid who's 15, it's like so much fun. It's like the first time you do watch Goonies or, you know, whatever else, like kid buddy film. That's awesome like that. And so they love the show. And my, my 18 year old, couldn't give two craps about the show. Doesn't like it. Doesn't think it's funny. Doesn't think it's interesting. So I think there's this gap between like seventeen and like thirty four or something like that. Where it's just like it's it it doesn't it doesn't resonate.
1: I I can see that. I think my big issue with it is when I when I look at media, uh, especially you know serialized fiction like we got on TV now. Like I I wanna. Mm. What does it mean like I, I want to mm. find some deeper uh, meaning there, and uh, I haven't been able to do that with stranger things, even I though it doesn't fun
0: no, no, I, I don't think you will. I think it's just a uh, I think it's just a grand old time that's like that's all that's all it is. I think that's all it is. I do not think there's deeper meaning. I think you're supposed to want Hopper and Joyce to fall in love finally, and then Hopper can be the the stepdad and will and eleven or brother and sister and then Mike gets to be with Eleven in their you know middle school way. Like it's it's nothing more than that. There's there's nothing deeper, and I don't even understand what the Upside Down is, other than it's under their house. Yet nobody could figure out that that was a map of Hawkins.
1: Well, it it is it's a parallel dimension.
0: Well, it is a parallel dimension, but 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 somehow it has both theory and actual location. Like you can get to it. Yes, I get it because the gate is open and all that. It's just like
1: well, not anymore.
0: right but the point being the science fiction of it doesn't even hold up that well
1: (laughs) and usually usually that bugs the hell out of me i actually so this is the place where i'm actually going to defend it i know i think that for Mm -hmm. the period piece that they're making Mm -hmm. the science fiction is perfect
0: Well, what's perfect is Bob the Brain works at Radio Shack because people who today would work at a tech company or be doing, you know, open source tinkering is totally the person who was hanging out at Radio Shack. For sure. That part I love. I love that Bob was the puzzle guy and he's the one who figured out the map and, you know, he works at Radio Shack. It was perfect. That was a perfect persona, perfect character in that case. I like that. All right. I might be able to go with you on that one. I just... You well, know. I mean,
1: the, the military facility the, or the secret government facility that's like the, <laughs> the Department yeah. of Energy shit, like, that's the perfect 80s conspiracy story kind of thing. Oh, and those, those opening titles are just beautiful.
0: My husband, it's his favorite part of the show, actually. He keeps saying my favorite part is watching the opening credits because I feel like it's like, it's, you know, Thursday night and we're home from school and yeah. our favorite shows are about to come on. It's Tuesday night and the A-Team is going to come on next. And, and it's just like elicits this joy from from him that's so funny.
1: Because they've perfectly mimicked the aesthetic of the age right down to like yep. the yep. graininess Absolutely. of those that's titles. Right. I, I just, the, the thing, here, here's the thing if not for those titles i would not have watched the whole show all right but having watched those titles i was like all right well these people are so serious about Mm -hmm. whatever they're doing here i've got to give them a (laughs) shot and i'm glad that i did
0: it's true they had to they had to find will i mean it starts off pretty straightforward kid disappears like all right let's find him turns out he's in the upside down
1: middle school's traumatic Maybe that's the point. Maybe maybe this whole thing is just an I allegory think it is, just for allegory middle school. It's just an allegory for
0: middle school, right? Yeah, I mean, they actually in season two they address the PTSD. Right? I think everybody has at least a tiny bit of PTSD coming out of out of middle school, and some people have a whole hell of a lot.
1: Well, and there's a handful of people who they they really enjoyed middle school, and I don't trust them at all. I don't trust them.
0: I remember my mom saying <laughs> saying to me. Anybody who tells you, like, high school-ish, end of middle school through through high school graduation, anybody who tells you these are the best years of, oh their, my of God. your life run away.
1: Yeah, I, I was miserable in high school. I, I, I can't conceive of that being the best days of my life. And, and what kind of life do you have to have where that's going on? So do you have, do you have questions about people's shitty workplaces?
0: Let's do it. We put up a Google form and said, if you want to write in with some questions about stuff you're, you know, struggling with at work, interpersonal politics, relationships, managers, that kind of thing, workplace culture. We said, all right, let's 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 see what we what we got. So I think you have the first question that came our way, Danilo.
1: So this person asks, and they don't indicate the size of their company, so we'll 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 have to give it a little bit of a range, but. This person asks, I have a manager who doesn't seem interested in my career goals. Mm. What does this mean for my career? Should I expect that kind of engagement? And should I look elsewhere for a job?
0: Oof. Do we know any... Well, I guess we're just going to have to speculate on size of company. But they did indicate it's a tech company, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) This is going to be one of those... um, Answers that we probably come back to over and over and over again. Number one, yes, you absolutely have every right to expect that your manager is interested in your career and your career growth. That is not out of the question. That is not asking too much. It's, you know, it's one thing for somebody to invest all their time into where you're going to go next. That's obviously not what, not a realistic ask, but... Assuming you're doing well, you want to know how to do better, assuming you want to grow, maybe become a manager, maybe have a lateral move to something you like more that's more or less technical and you're trying to, you know, build a portfolio around that, your manager is one of the most important relationships in helping make that happen. Your manager can advocate for you in rooms where you are not present. Your manager helps set your compensation and your title. Your manager will be the person you want to have as a reference when you go either the next job or, you know, two, three jobs after that. Any good manager puts time into your career growth and your
1: own goals. And so
0: if that isn't happening, a couple of things that, that that I think should be flags for you. Well, well, Number hold, one. hold on
1: there. Before you go on, if we flip this around. Okay. And we see that somebody is not being advocated for if Mm -hmm. somebody's not seeing their career growth happen. Does that mean you've got a manager who's just indifferent to that person in those rooms they're not in?
0: I mean, the problem is you just don't know. So it's kind of like expect the best, but but prepare for the worst. And I've seen it go both ways so that you find out your boss thinks you're great but you didn't know that they thought you were great. You didn't know that they were putting your name up for promotions. They never communicated that to you for whatever reason. You don't know. Alternatively, they could be trashing you in rooms and and not only not advocating for you, but maligning your character or your, your work effort or whatever it is. And so the fact of the matter is when you don't know, Step one is you got to find out sort of where you stand with that person, which is the the remedy. One of the first remedies I was going to suggest. So number one is I think you got to find out what what's that person think of you. So if you haven't had a review in a while, or um, you you want to be more explicit about the kind of feedback you can get, then you got to start to work that into your one on ones because you. You don't necessarily want to go from this person isn't advocating to me for me to, come on, I want a promotion. You just don't know how big of a breach that is that you have to cross. So you need to find out what the support is in the middle.
1: What if you're not having one-on-ones with, oh. your, with your manager?
0: Oh, my goodness, Danilo.
1: I, I've, <laughs> had that, I've had that boss. Who,
0: I know. Who just, like, didn't
1: I, believe in doing one-on-ones.
0: I know. You've told me that before. How in the world? What, uh, tell me why they didn't believe in one-on-ones.
1: Um, I, I think they just, they thought it wasn't important. They had more interesting things to do. Uh, and, it, and it was really <laughs> unfortunate because what it meant was that there were, you know, these surprises that would just grow in size as mm. our mutual frames of reference for the world kind of diverged.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I just, I could not disagree more. If you don't like doing one-on-ones, you should not be managing people. How about that? It's, it's table stakes. One-on-ones are the most basic unit of managerial activity you possibly could have. And they are so fundamental and the basic building block of everything else that I just don't know what you would have in its place or how you think you could help people develop who don't have one-on-ones. So I would say if you aren't having one-on-ones with your manager and you have not asked for them, then ask for them. If you have asked for them and they don't happen or they just, you know, say something like what what Danilo said about it not being important, you kind of have your answer there. <laughs> about how much this person is going to advocate for you, about how much this person is going to take an investment in your career. They're not interested in investing you on a on a tiny unit of measure, the one-on-one. The odds are they're not going to be ready to advocate for you on a big measure like advancement in your career or a major comp bump. It's just not going to happen.
1: I want to put some nuance on that, though. Please do. Because Please do. I, I think that that's probably generally true but i think it, it varies dramatically on the scale of the company and the team that you're working on if you have a manager that's not particularly engaged with your mm-hmm. career mm-hmm. but you also have like a shit ton of autonomy and you can just you know build the things you want um, create the plans that make the most sense to you i mean Maybe you sit there and tolerate the fact that your manager is kind of asleep at the wheel because you can still advance your career because you can kind of hold so much control over it yourself.
0: Okay, I I don't disagree with that. I I was going from the premise that this person wants advancement, wants more, more, quote unquote, like, you know, um, career growth along a certain trajectory of promotions, right? Not sort of a, a lateral Growth on help me be more creative and autonomous because that kind of manager who's that hands off is so great for a person who's a self starter. You just can't count on that person who's managing you to make something to help you make something happen from your thoughtful extracurricular work. Does that make sense?
1: So so it's not a system at that point. If things work well, it's an accident. No,
0: that's right. It's an it's an accident, and you just happen to to find the right combination of someone who doesn't want a lot of you know, managerial feedback and doesn't expect much of their manager. So it it, it works for everybody, right? And the manager doesn't want to put that kind of time in. So that's fine. The problem is that's accidental. And when other people are brought onto that team who have a different set of expectations, that creates a conflict on a team. So if one person is constantly the one raising their hand saying, hi, I'd like to get a one-on-one with you. And everybody else is rolling their eyes like, "Ugh." You know, there she goes again asking for her one-on-ones while the rest of us just want to be left alone. There's just a mismatch there. Be honest with yourself about how much you need from a manager. One of the things that allows people to be scapegoats in Silicon Valley around some of these practices is we, we like to pretend that we are not social, that that our engineers are not social creatures. They don't like talking to one another. You know what counts as a one-on-one? A slack conversation. Sure. Be like, now is the time for our one-on-one. I know you don't like to open up in person, so now's our time to slack about stuff.
1: Because some hard things are easier to talk about when you're typing it out.
0: Some of the best conversations and most open conversations I've had have been over uh, some sort of chat app with my kids.
1: And your kids are teenagers right now, My right? kids are
0: teenagers, right? At first, I was like, oh, why couldn't they just come tell me? And then I'm thinking, wait, this is a level of intimate conversation that for young people, has tremendous meaning.
1: It's very natural for them.
0: You have to know as a manager how to meet, because this sounds so cliche, how to meet people where they are. You have to.
1: It, it sounds cliche to you, but I, my experience says that that is advice that, that not a lot of people have been getting.
0: You just made me think of a conversation I had once with a, a leader I was, I was coaching, and I was telling him this. I said, you, you have to sort of think about each person individually as you would if you're buying each person a gift. What does this person like? Where do they spend their time? You know, and, and you do have to think about that, that full profile of each of the people you manage. And he says, well, why is that my responsibility to do it's Because you're the boss. You're the manager. You're making more money than them. You have more responsibility. That's exactly your job. Your job is to lead this team. It, it sounded like extracurricular work to him. And that that was going to get in the way of the tasks at hand. And then once he started trying, he said, oh, okay, I see. Now I'm getting way better work out of everybody. Imagine (laughs) that. Gee, you know, it's funny how how happily people work when they 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 feel like they're being treated like, you know, whole people with nuances and responsibilities outside of that work.
1: And you know that this is the abyss that I cannot stop looking into, which is that you've got a manager who ultimately has kind of veto power over a lot of their reports' basics of survival. You know, you you need money in case you don't die tomorrow. Yeah. and so at the point where you've got that level <laughs> of
0: frame it that way, <laughs> that's a great framing. <laughs> I mean, I,
1: I can't take credit. It's it's from Wall Street. It's
0: lovely. It's not assuming you'll live another day. It's assuming you don't die.
1: The fact that you have this level of power over somebody else—that's not nothing. That's not even incidental. That that is a significant bit of power disparity that exists between a manager and their report. And so, you know, the the care work that you were talking about earlier, it really isn't optional because you have to think about the emotional state of somebody you have that disparity of power with. It, it's just the only humane way to be. People
0: in our field who say things like, I want a really flat structure. We really don't like managers. We really don't, you know, we're all leaders. Like those platitudes are really nice on paper. And the reason they come about is because people don't want to be led poorly. However, to people who have been led well, they will, the vast majority of them will choose to continue to be led well, rather than not be led. It's just... Between being led poorly and not being led, not being led is the less shitty choice. The best choice is being led well. And so you know the thing that drives me up a wall is is bad management makes people's lives miserable. And they go home and they bring their misery with you. And when you are a manager, you have to know that you have that level of power over somebody, not just in the moment you're interacting with them, but on how they experience the rest of their day, how they go home and experience their families. If you're a manager who continuously ignores somebody well that they carry that with them if you're a manager who who humiliates people they carry that with them and you've
1: got a whole family kind of that paying right. the price for your behavior that is, at that point
0: is that not the oldest story hurt people hurt people and i feel strongly that if you are if you are have found yourself in a professional job right where you don't you don't necessarily have to work with your hands all the time and you you have a choice to wear, you know, jeans and sneakers to work and nobody's going to get mad at you, right? And and you work in an office that's got free food in it.
1: A hoodie collar job.
0: <laughs> a hoodie collar job. That's right. These are hoodie collar jobs, right? Okay, your life's already pretty great. You are in a situation that the the vast majority of the world is not. And still you don't deserve to be treated like shit by managers because most of your waking time is spent on this thing most of your waking hours are spent at work with your coworkers and your boss and the culture of that office it is not spent with your loved ones it is not spent you know traveling the world it is actually spent at work with these people that experience should be as lovely as possible because people who are humiliated who are wealthy people who are humiliated who are poor people who are humiliated all along the spectrum, humiliation is a fundamental human emotion that we, we do not want to inflict on, on one another.
1: And which is a very high likelihood with poorly managed power dynamics.
0: That's right. I mean, you know, we haven't even explicitly talked about sexual harassment yet. And that's obviously the thing that has popped. We could no longer pretend like these things aren't happening every day in every office. And that's just one kind of hurt and humiliation that comes out of an untended culture. An unintentional culture, an accidental, thoughtless, and or purposefully created sharkish culture. Yeah. People get hurt along the lines of sexual harassment and, God forbid, sexual assault as well. And there are other kinds of transgressions that happen. There are racial aggressions. There are ableist situations where you find out you know, the kind of humiliating things that some of my disabled friends have had to go through at work. But all that is to say, nobody deserves to be humiliated.
1: Well, on that bright note, <laughs> we we got another question here. This one, they're they're coming from a hundred-ish person company, mm-hmm. and they say that they have been struggling at their new job. It doesn't feel like they can find a groove, and it's making them anxious. They ask, "How can I tell if the problem is with the company or with me?" Oi. <laughs> Well, that's hard. Why don't you take the first crack at this
0: one? I have a feeling you have an idea about this.
1: Sure. My thing on this is that we end up, uh, especially as workers in this position where we believe that there is a way to measure our absolute value. And that absolute value is being measured by management. And so if in one environment we are not perceived as valuable, that means absolutely we are not valuable. And, and just nothing could be further from the truth in that situation. There's so much about a job and your success in it that exists outside of your control. Who are you working with? Who is managing you? What are the tasks you're being given? What kind of environments are you being given to perform those tasks? Does anybody care about accommodations that you require for doing your work every day? I mean, we can rattle off a list of different factors Mm. that can make somebody either thrive or entirely useless in a job, and they're completely contextual.
0: The only little bit I'd add is that if a company isn't a match for you, you can have like a no-fault Situation where you say, you know what, these people are just getting really excited about things that don't excite me, and that can be a not a match. Or this culture is one that I'm I'm trying really hard to be myself in, but it's still not fitting because truly inclu- inclusive culture would would allow for you know a differing of styles and personalities and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But at a hundred a hundred people company, it's kind of hard to tell because. Believe it or not, even at 100 people, most companies haven't figured out what type of employee makes a good employee at that particular company. And so if you have a strong feeling about who, you know, look at the most recent hires versus the people who were hired with you. Do you like where it's trending? Do you like the people who've been there for less time more than the people who've been there for more time? Then that might be a good, uh, it might be a match. It's just that there hasn't been a critical mass of this, this new type of person that they're bringing on. And you know, the opposite also holds. If the last three people they brought on are absolute assholes and you know that they're wreaking havoc on the office, then again, not a match.
1: I've been the the round peg in the square hole. I know you've Mm -hmm. been as well. (laughs) There's an element to this where, you know, we we can intellectually describe this as dryly as we want, and it's a very straightforward thing if you, you know, zoom out to 30,000 feet or whatever. But day-to-day when you're dealing with a tough match that can cause trauma (laughs) yeah Uh, i think especially if
0: you find yourself compromising in ways that you normally wouldn't and you go well that felt weird well you know what you're going to be alive a lot longer uh than than the tenure of this job and so you knowing your own bottom line morals, values, that kind of thing, and calling it earlier rather than waiting until it's absolutely irrefutable that these people are terrible and not you know not good for you and all that kind of stuff, cut it off sooner. Just just cut it off sooner. You work in an industry where there are jobs to be found and a lot of ways to access those jobs through networks. It is not worth putting yourself through answering every question like, well, maybe they are good after all. And then, you know.
1: It's about safety. It's about, you know, preventing burnout as well. I think Mm -hmm. that when you hit a certain level of discouragement, disrespect, just not fitting in, after a while, you're going to just stop valuing work altogether. And that's a dangerous place to get to because now this poor match has harmed your livelihood. Yeah.
0: Yeah, th- th- I think that's right. And and I think that there are a, there's still this idea out there. There's still this idea out there that you have to show tenure at every every company you go work at and somehow if you don't stay there a full year like a full cycle then you're going to be looked down upon at the next job or if you don't stay there for 2 years. You know what? We all have one or two of these things on our resume and we, we stay gainfully employed in this sector where if somebody says, why didn't you spend more time there? And your answer is, it turned out to not be a match for me. I decided to leave because the culture was, was different than what, I, than what I expected or than what I needed at that moment. That's a mature, accurate, uh, and completely acceptable answer if I'm looking at somebody's resume. By the way, when, when I interview people, I actually don't ask about that. I don't ask about short, short-term gigs. Unless, I mean, if it's a pattern on your resume, then that's one thing. But, if, you know, somebody's had a job for two years, you know, two to four years, then there's a blip. You go, oh, huh, okay. I don't ask about that, and here's why. Because especially if I am interviewing someone from an underrepresented background in tech, I could guess what happened nine times out of ten and guess right. I don't need them to relive it in an interview.
1: Because now you're putting them on the spot. You're putting them in a difficult position.
0: And they're trying to figure out, am I going to be able to be honest with this person? Should I just play it diplomatic? The answer is you should probably play it diplomatic as much as possible. Um, Say it wasn't a match, you know, move on. But a very savvy interviewer who doesn't look for formulas in resumes is not going to ask you that question. Um, And and I would say that in particular to uh,
1: folks of color
0: and I would say I would add women from all backgrounds as well.
1: Uh, we got I, I see one more question we got right here. I've been at my job for a year now. I've been doing great at it. But we recently hired someone with complementary skills and a bit more experience. I'm worried I'm about to get layered. What should I do if that happens?
0: Ooh, Do they say how big the company is?
1: Uh, yeah, this one's a few dozen people.
0: Oh, okay. You're not going to get layered yet. Um, and if they're okay. layering when they're with a few dozen that easily, then uh, to me that would be a, a at least a yellow flag that there's a, some other lack of sophistication around organizational development there. Because if you're only a few dozen, you really shouldn't be hiring for anything close to the same, to the same position. It could very well be in a company that's that small. We recognize that another talented person. We want to bring them on. Um, A lot of early stage companies will say, well, we'll kind of figure it out as we go along. So my advice to you is as long as you find this person palatable and they seem like they respect you and that's all good interpersonally, get to know them well and see them more as a partner than a threat. Um, Because if they partner, I guarantee this person's going to learn from you. And you've already said that you can tell they know that they have some more experience than you do. You're going to be able to learn from them. Specifically, this is what you, you can offer. You can help that person learn the ropes of this company and they can help teach you some of the stuff that they know that you don't yet know. And when you do that, you form instead of a a layering situation, you can form an alliance where you are perceived much more as peers. And so even if there is a layering, let's say there's a layering that's coming, Mm -hmm. it will be less and less clear over time who layers over whom.
1: You look more like a lieutenant than you look yeah. like a, a peon or exactly. or Exactly.
0: Or, or somebody who was threatened by this new person. You you don't want to be that. You don't want to be that person. And, and I would treat them as an ally because how great is it in a company of just a few dozen? You can find somebody with similar expertise. That's actually rare except for sort of on the technical side. For the non-technical folks among us, We do a lot of ancillary stuff until the professionalization of each function comes more into view. So, hey, you can do twice as much work. That's
1: all well and good. Oh, boy. But I I think we have to acknowledge the fact that we have this primate shit where hierarchy means a lot. Mm. And so that all makes sense i think but there's still the emotional charge of feeling as though you are you're being shifted down in a hierarchy how 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 should we be looking at dealing with those difficult emotional moments
0: one of the hard things to see people do on both sides of this is number 1 devalue what they actually know This gets very gendered often where, you know, if you have a woman who knows a certain amount of things and a a man who knows an overlapping set of things, the woman will tend to discount herself over and over and over again and and give him more credit than is due. And he in turn will take more credit than he actually deserves, right? And that's a phenomenon that's been well documented and well researched. So first of all, you need a reality check is this person really more senior than you? Is it clear? Is it like this person has 10 more years experience than I do in this field? Okay, you can go one of two ways. One, you can be really pissed about it. Or two, you could be really psyched that you're about to get managed by someone who knows more than you than you do. And just be honest with yourself that maybe having somebody manage you who has 10 more years of experience than you is going to help you in your career in the longer term. And so, you know, we talk about bad managers all the time. This is potentially a situation where you might have a good manager who actually knows exactly what you do and knows how to value what you what you do. Don't squander that because of pride.
1: We're out of questions, at least that I, I wanted to answer.
0: Oh, this uh, so it's fun.
1: How do we want to close this thing? What do we do?
0: Um, I think we want to point people to our website where they can ask questions
1: of us. Oh, yes. That's a good idea. That's Viaconsulting.com. You may have even gotten to this audio file from that page. But if you want us to tell you about your job and how you might solve some of your workplace conundrums, please write in. We'll be totally confidential. We won't say anything to anyone. We'd love to give you some guidance about how to unstuck yourself. In a sticky workplace scenario.
0: Perfectly done, sir.
1: All right,
0: that's all I got.